0: What a beautiful prayer for us this morning. I had a hard time making it through that last stanza. (laughs) That in unity, the face of Christ will be clear for all the world to see. That's certainly our focus today as we go to God's Word. Would you turn now in your Bibles uh, with me to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 3 through 8. We are... Picking back up on our Roman series, if you're visiting with us, our pastor has been walking us through the book of Romans for a number of months, and uh, we are continuing on that uh, track today uh, with Romans 12, 3 through 8. If you'd like to use a pew Bible, you can find the passage on page 948. I would encourage you to follow along today in the Word of God. beginning with verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask for God's illumination on his word. Our Father, we ask just that, that your, even as we've sung, that your Holy Spirit would be in our midst today in an unmistakable way, revealing to us your truth from your word. Speak to us now in this hour, we ask in Christ's name, amen. The passage before us today picks up where our pastor left off a couple of weeks ago with verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. Let's briefly review some of that since it's been a couple of weeks, uh, and it will also help frame the context for uh, the teaching today, I believe. So you'll remember that in light of the gospel that Paul had delivered to them in the previous 11 chapters, Paul tells the church at Rome that there is an appropriate response on their part to what he has shared with them. And for that matter, we could say on our part as well. Because of what God has done through Jesus Christ to save us, to redeem us, to adopt us into his own family, what do we give him? The answer is us. And not in some esoteric spiritual way, but by giving our actual bodies, our tangible, physical, real selves Not to be burned or sacrificed in death, but to be sacrificed in living. What a shock it must have been for their ears, both Jew and Gentile Christians in that day. They knew very well from their previous religious lives what it meant to bring a sacrifice to their God in worship. Whether Jehovah or a pagan deity, it was to offer something to be killed. It was a sacrifice of death. Now Paul comes along and says, no more, because Jesus in his own body of flesh and blood has provided the once for all blood sacrifice of death so that we need not offer one any longer. And furthermore, Jesus rose from the dead conquering the grave so that we too may be raised to eternal life and offer not sacrifices of death, but our very bodies as living sacrifices. And as the demand of God was to have perfect spotless sacrifices without blemish, so we too, Paul says, are called to be living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to God. It was only Jesus' perfect obedience to the Father, living the life that we could not live that has provided that status for us. We are holy because we wear the garment of Christ's righteousness purchased for us by his sacrifice. What a glorious calling is ours. It is to be a continual living sacrifice in the service of worship to our Savior. Well, now Paul gets very practical. What does that look like in real life? What is the practical outworking of being a living sacrifice for Jesus in today's world? What's it like for the youngest of our elementary age communicants to the oldest senior among us? For those of us who are students in school still under mom and dad's roof? To those of us who are just now beginning life in the workplace? What about those in the midst of successful careers? How about those struggling to find life's calling? What about the sick and infirmed Some of you are full-time moms. No doubt you already feel like your existence is a living sacrifice. (laughs) But what about those among us that are facing a midlife crisis of sorts, wondering what it's all about and where to go from here? The answer for all of us is the same. Folks, the beauty of the gospel is that even with its wonderful complexity, as Paul expressed in his worship at the end of chapter 11. Do you remember those words? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Even in the middle of that glory, The gospel's application for us can be grasped by the simplest and youngest among us. And this is where Paul takes us today. What does it mean to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ? First, in offering our bodies as living sacrifices, we must do some (laughs) self-evaluating. No matter what you may think you see around here in the lives of your fellow believers as you walk the halls, The reality is, none of us has it all together. (laughs) None of us are doing this church membership thing perfectly. Paul's challenge is for everyone in the room. The temptation now might, in some of your hearts, might be well, uh, you're right, I'm really bad at being a church member. Life is so busy, it's all I can do to get myself here on Sunday mornings. I'm not going to be able to live up to this, so I might as well check out right now. Others might be saying, preach it, brother. I've been here since the beginning and have served on every committee. Here every time the doors are open. Glad you're preaching this sermon for those who need to hear it. (laughs) Well, whether you're six years old or 90 years old, if you're a member here at St. Andrew's Presbyterian, then you're part of something greater than yourself. So let's begin our Membership 101 class by looking inside and evaluating where we are in relationship to our membership status. Lay aside your preconceived ideas of what it means to be a church member and allow God's spirit to speak through his word this morning. First, going back to verse 3, we see that you are to offer your body to Christ in humility. We read, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Paul isn't just addressing the leadership of the church in Rome, but everyone among you. Our natural bent as individuals is to be proud, to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. But you know, this pride can manifest itself in a number of ways. Perhaps something around the church needs to get done, but we feel as though the task is below us, so we assume others will take care of it. Maybe the temptation is for those that work hard and frequently volunteer to look down on those who they think are not pulling their weight. Or maybe in our pride we think, people don't appreciate me around here. If I wasn't around, this whole place would come crashing down. Interestingly enough, pride can manifest itself in what might seem the opposite attitude as well. False humility can be a source of pride. We might go around here quoting the psalmist, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. We might be tempted to think, I'm not very important around here. God hasn't given me any of the top gifts. I'm just a doorkeeper, lowly servant. But either scenario can tend towards pride. And Paul challenges us to frame our thinking according to the scripture, and our offer our bodies in humility. He goes on in verse 3 in the very next phrase to tell us to offer our bodies in truth, to think about ourselves with sober judgment. We need to be honest about who we are before the Lord. One of the silliest things I do, I know, and I'm sure you do too, is to come to God with pretense, acting like we're more spiritual than we are or more humble than we are, or more together than we are? Do we really think that God doesn't already know us and know our hearts and know where we are? Don't pretend you're something that you're not. Unfortunately, the church is a great place to fake it, isn't it? We all feel the need to show up here pretending that everything in our lives is perfect. But don't you find that exhausting? Trying to keep up with the Joneses, not only in your neighborhood, but also a church? Why would we want to subject ourselves to that week after week? Isn't it time we get past these games and just be honest with one another? I believe one of the marks of a good home is one in which the family members feel as though they can let down when they come through the doors at the end of a long day. They can be who God created them to be without fear of judgment or criticism. The opposite is true of a dysfunctional home, where perhaps an overbearing parent has impossible expectations for the rest of the family. One of those examples is a place of peace and comfort, a refuge from the world around us where we can go to refuel and recoup. And the other is a place of judgment and stress, where there is no rest for the weary. Now for the believer, this peace and rest is ultimately found in the person of Christ. We know that. But isn't it interesting, then, that we, the Church of Christ, are referred to as his body? The place where Christ resides on Earth. So what kind of spiritual home is St. Andrew's? Are we a place of refuge or a place of stress? Do we set up impossible expectations for the rest of the family? By grace, I hope and pray that we can be A resting place for weary saints. That we can lay aside pretense and be honest before the Lord and before one another, sharing this journey that is the Christian life. Continuing on in verse 3, Paul instructs that we are to offer our bodies to Christ in faith. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What a liberating statement. We can stop trying to be something that we're not. God has created each of us uniquely and has gifted us accordingly. And with that gifting, he has equipped us with just the right measure of faith to exercise those gifts. As we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, all God expects us to give him is what he's already given us. No more, no less. Imagine it. It is as though you're standing before a creditor whom you owe a great sum of money which you cannot afford to pay let's say, $50,000. That'd be a lot for me. And when you come before him, he hands you $50,000 and says, here, pay me with this. Uh, Okay. What's the catch? There is no catch. It's a no-lose situation. Stop trying to be something that you're not. God has liberated you from that. His only expectation is that you are who he made you to be. Nothing more, nothing less. May God help us to offer our bodies to Christ in humility, in truth, and in faith. So, after helping us to frame who we are in Christ in this offering up of our bodies as living sacrifices, in verse 4, things take an interesting turn. Paul shifts, did you notice, from using singular pronouns to plural ones. We are challenged now to take these bodies that we are offering as living sacrifices and join the body of Christ. When the gospel takes hold in your heart, when Jesus saves you from yourself and your sin, you're no longer your own. It's not about you anymore. Now you're a part of something much bigger than yourself. The church, the body of Christ, Verse 4 begins, for as in one body, we've been hearing about this already in our service today, haven't we? Through testimony, through song, through prayer. Remember, Paul has just warned them about being self centered in their walk with Christ. Our bodies form one body. He continues in verse 4 For as in one body, we have many members. One of the early mottos of the United States was the Latin phrase, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. It still appears on the seal of the United States and on the presidential seal. The idea behind it was that even though there were 13 colonies in our origin, there was only one nation. This could be the motto of the church as well, couldn't it? Out of many, one. This teaching flies in the face of those that say local church membership is not important. Folks, church is not meant to be done alone. God calls his people to be part of the church. And if you find yourself outside the church and that you aren't ready to be part of the church, then go back to chapters one through 11 of Romans and continue to read and rehearse the gospel over and over in your heart until you are ready you're not ready for chapter 12. There is an order to this salvation that we possess, and the foundation of regeneration cannot be bypassed. Paul continues in verse four, and the members do not all have the same function. So in verse three, he laid the foundation for us to have a proper understanding of who we are as individuals before we can successfully be a part of this larger entity that is the body of Christ. He stressed being humble and truthful about ourselves because if we do not accept our role, we won't be content being part of the body. And we risk contributing to making the church dysfunctional if we're not willing to accept those roles. In 1 Corinthians, interestingly enough, also in chapter 12, Paul elaborates more on this thought with that church using the same imagery. There he says, "'For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. "'If the foot should say, "'Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body,' "'that would not make it any less a part of the body. "'If the whole body were an eye, "'where would be the sense of hearing? "'If the whole body were an ear, "'where would be the sense of smelling? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. The eye cannot say to the hand, I I don't have any need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Isn't that a great illustration? He takes something that we all have, a body, something we all understand and we can look at it at any time in the day that we wish to. And he explains through that what it is to be a member of the church. Imagine if Paul had had ex- access to Mr. Potato Head or Pixar's animators. We can all see it in our minds, can't we? Every child knows instinctively they don't stick five ears into Mr. Potato Head. And we all understand the absurdity of Mike Wazowski, the giant walking eye for Monsters, Inc., right? This is not what the body is supposed to look like. We continue reading in verse five, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. There's that out of many, one. But the converse is true as well. Diversity in unity. While it's true that the church cannot function well unless its members are fulfilling their God-given role in unity, so too you as a member will never function on your own as well as you do being a part of the larger body. It works both ways. We can say in a real sense that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. It's absolutely true when it comes to the church. We can make further application as we look out into one another. Look around you. If you get frustrated with your fellow members here at SAPC because they don't see things the way you see them or because they don't get it like you do, That's the same as the nose wishing everyone else were a nose. It's absurd. Rather, be thankful that God has given us the various parts that we need to function as a church. Rejoice in our diversity. Don't chafe against it. If everyone was like you or like me, what a pitiful church we'd be. You said it, brother. <laughs> Welcome home, by the way. Next in your outline, serve Christ in his body. In verses 6 through 8, we read, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. In our final point, we see in the opening phrase of verse 6, three aspects of Serving Christ in his body. First, having gifts that differ, Paul says. Acknowledge that there are a variety of gifts. Just know that. We don't all have them. There's a variety of gifts represented. God has given each of us different gifts with which to serve him. Secondly, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Make sure as you exercise your gifts to be rooted in grace. God doesn't gift his people and then expect them to use those gifts in their own power. Again, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 12, in the parallel passage, we read, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God is the one that gives us the gifts and empowers us with a spirit to use those gifts for the common good of the church. And most importantly, finishing out that verse, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Exercise your gifts. In our house, you might imagine that we talk some about musical gifts stuff and musical gifting, one of the topics that frequently comes up is the variety of work or jobs that we enjoy, even away from our responsibilities at St. Andrews. We say that one of the benefits in taking on some of this extra work is that it helps us keep up our chops. Well, what is meant by that is that if you don't use it, you lose it. Anyone who's an athlete, does any kind of fitness or discipline in the arts or even calculating figures in your head, you know that if you don't keep doing these things, you will ultimately lose your ability to do them at all. It's important to exercise our spiritual gifts as well. It only makes sense. For the more we engage in them, the greater our capacity is to do more and to receive more gifts from the Lord. Paul gives us, while not a comprehensive list, nonetheless a very diverse and full list of gifts that God equips the church with through its members. So we read on there, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts or encourages in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Seven gifts that he lists there. A variety of gifts for the church. What a wonderful list. There are others in Scripture, such as the passage I've already mentioned, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4 has some as well. But it's not my goal this morning to help you determine your specific spiritual gifts. And while some of us may struggle with this, and I'm confident that any of us on the pastoral staff would be delighted to help you find those if you need help, I don't think that's our greatest need in this area. For instance, when I read that list a moment ago, and when you look at the scripture in front of you, what do you begin thinking when you read that list? Do you acknowledge your own gifting and rejoice and get excited as you read these gifts and think about the people in the pew next to you who possess them, that are equipped in that way? Or are you more inclined, like I am, to immediately go to the gifts that you don't have and lament the fact that you don't have them? I look at the list and I say to myself, yeah, I'm not a very good exhorter. I wish I were more like so and so. They are such an amazing encouragement to me. I wish I was like that. Or acts of mercy. Really? Major fail on that one, Lord. But this attitude is completely missing the point of Paul's instruction. Let me use Paul's illustration of the body for a moment as an example. Imagine you're sitting in your favorite chair watching an epic movie with your foot propped up on the ottoman. Your foot, who is just sitting there not exercising its function in any way, says to itself, man, being a foot stinks. <laughs> I'm just laying here. I mean, I up there is enjoying an amazing cinematic feast while I waste away. Why can't we all just be one big eye? I? I mean, I wanna to see too. Now imagine a contrast, hey, I, it's foot down here. Come on, man, we gotta get up and get moving. You think this picture on the screen is amazing? Just wait, I'm gonna take you to see wonders beyond your wildest imagination outside in creation. Let's go on a walk, come on, come on, come on, let's go. There's a contrast, a difference. Being truthful and acknowledging one's abilities and gifts and yet encouraging one another to use theirs. We can sit around and complain about what we aren't, envying our brothers and sisters and creating a dysfunctional church, or we can get excited about using our gifts and be happy for our fellow brothers and sisters as they exercise theirs in a healthy church. So how do I exercise my gifts here at St. Andrews? What does it look like to be a member here? Well, Let's start with the vow you made when you stood before the congregation and became a member. There were several questions that you answered in the affirmative, if you're a member here. But I want to remind you of just one. Here it is. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? In light of what we've just talked about, it's worded very interestingly, isn't it? As though there were thought behind it. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? How are you serving Christ in his body here at St. Andrews? We might say, how are you knowing, loving, and serving in the worship and work of St. Andrews to the best of your ability? Remember to be honest about your abilities. Don't oversell yourself but don't sell yourself short either. Some of you need to step up your game. You are the foot that's been laying on the sofa too long and it's time to exercise that gift. Others of you are trying to do everyone else's job yourself and you're operating outside of your areas of giftedness. And that's not healthy either. First let's acknowledge that we can't very well exercise our spiritual gifts in the church if we aren't with the church. So the first challenge to us this morning is to be here, faithfully. If you're a member here, then you're a part of the body of Christ here. No one else can fill your role, no matter how small you think that role is. When we gather together to offer our service of worship to the Lord each Sunday, in response to what he has done in saving us through Jesus, we all have a part to play. And if you're not here, then your part of the whole is missing. No one else can be your voice. No one else can fill in for you. If you aren't lending your heart, mind, body, and soul to the worship of God here, then we aren't firing on all cylinders. We all have a role in corporate worship that is ours to do and ours alone. Secondly, let me encourage you to find a small group of believers here at St. Andrews that you can live life with and exercise your gifts. A Sunday school class, a community group, a prayer group or circle, a group that meets on a regular basis that can provide you with some accountability and opportunity to use your gifts. And third, within your area of gifting, find a place to serve the body here and or the community. We are called to be salt and light in. And in doing these three things, strive to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability. Know Jesus through worshiping him with the body of Christ, love him more and one another through a small group ministry, and serve him better through an outreach or service opportunity. We must finish by coming full circle and asking ourselves a singular question. In the theater, a stage director may ask an actor who is doing something on stage, a simple question. The actor might simply be walking from one place to another on stage. Maybe they're looking at another actor or making a gesture with their hand. And the question from the director is, what's your motivation? Usually it's because whatever movement the actor did on stage at that moment didn't have a context and it didn't make any sense. When you're watching an actor, you can spot a fake. You can tell when they're not thinking about what they're doing. You can tell when they don't have a motivation behind something that they do. So what's your motivation for offering your body as a living sacrifice in service to Christ and the rest of the body? Is it fear of pleasing Jesus or fear of what others will think? Is it because you feel bullied into it or compelled under a guilt trip? There's only one motivation for the Christian that is legitimate. It all comes back around to that singular word in Romans 12:1. Therefore, in response to the gospel in your life, out of a thankful heart for what Jesus has done for you, because he died to pay for your sins, you cannot help but to offer yourself to him and his bride. There is no other response. Only out of love and gratitude to your Savior should you offer up yourself to him. If it's for any other reason, then stop. Go back to the first 11 chapters and remember who you were outside of Christ. Remember how he saved you from your sin and from an eternity in hell. Remember his grace and mercy to you that were undeserved. Remember the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you still aren't motivated to run headlong in giving yourself to him, then go back and remember again and ask him for the grace to understand. So as we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to Christ, let us do it in humility, not thinking more or less of ourselves than we should, in truth, being honest about who we are, and in faith, trusting that the spirit of Christ is going to enable us to exercise the gifts he has already given us. Let us join with the body of Christ here at St. Andrews. You can't do this thing called the Christian life alone, folks. You weren't designed that way. You were designed to be part of something greater than you could ever be on your own. So celebrate our diversity and rejoice in being part of a well-functioning body. And let us serve Christ and his body by using the gifts he has given us by the power of his spirit, being motivated by love for him because he has redeemed us and brought us from darkness to light. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for bringing us into the light out of darkness. Thank you for saving us. God, you didn't stop there. Not only did you save us, but you called us to be your feet and hands and voice, salt and light in this world, and to do that together as a church, as the body of Christ here at St. Andrews. Thank you for that glorious calling Thank you for who we are in Jesus. And thank you for who we are as a body. Thank you for the love that we possess for one another. Thank you for the exhorters among us that encourage us. Thank you for those that teach us. Thank you for those that serve humbly. Thank you, Lord, for all of these that use their gifts in this place to make St. Andrews the church that it is. Enable us, Lord, to use our gifts for your sake and for one another in response to who Christ is and what he's done. We ask this in his name. Amen.